Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome back, dear listeners. This is your host, Matt Drenkon of the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show where we like to offer a view inside the mind of successful leaders who have overcome something challenging and show you in real life how to do things, how to get it done, how to make the comeback. And we have an amazing human being with us today, a man by the name of Bruce Chamoff. Bruce is going to talk to us about a number of things today. I'm just going to give you a little bit of his bio. There's so much more that I'm not going to cover but just a, a little bit of a glimpse into Bruce and then he can add some color if you'd like. So first of all, the founder of the World Podcast Network and the term podcast network, he's the first person to actually coin that term almost 20 years ago, back in 2006. He was introduced to me by one of my favorite guests I've had on the show, Rena Friedman-Watts, the host of the Better Call Daddy podcast. He has over a thousand podcast shows on his network. He's also a girl dad. He's also a musician, not afraid <laughs> to go on stage and you can check about on Spotify. Also, he has coached hundreds of podcasters, okay? He's built over a thousand websites. He's coached over 5,000 web developers worldwide over the last 22 years. He's currently writing a book. He's in chapter 13, nearing the conclusion. He does it all. And there's a ferocity and intensity about him, but it's masked because he's super cool and laid back. So get ready for this interview today. Mr. Bruce Chamoff. Bruce, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It's super pleasure to have you. I mean, Rena, she's super cool. Anyone that she refers me to is like a rock star in my book. So can you describe to us, where are you sitting right now? What's going on and around your environment right now, where you're at here on February 9th, 2024? Sitting in my podcast studio at home. And it's not just a podcast studio. I record all my music here, produce other artists as well. And I guess you can call it my multimedia room because it has a lot of different uses. So for someone who is super into podcasting, serving thousands of podcasts on the network, what is actually in the room with you right now? What kind of equipment is in there? What's some of the stuff that any of us out here listening, because there's a ton of podcasters that listen to this show. What do you have around you right now, equipment wise, Bruce? I'm surrounded by a couple of pieces of hardware. My keyboard is behind me and we can just kind of you see the keyboard down here. Obviously, besides this podcast mic, I got one over there. I'm pointing to my left and it might look like the right on your side. I got my podcast microphones over there. Bass guitar, a guitar. Wow. <laughs> um, got a drum machine over there. And then to my right is an air conditioner heater. Wow. This is what it's like you go deep into the world and the studio setup of someone yeah. who is in back in the beginning of podcasting who's created the network. This is what it is. There's four mics in here. Is that a roadcaster yeah, yeah. over there? 
Now I'm on my PC, so I'm just showing you. This is where I record all the music, you know, the whole thing. I know that a lot of the podcasters, they have that multicolored light thing. I don't know what you call it. But when I do music, though, I need all the tracks. So when you're doing podcasting, you're the co-host. You have one host or two hosts. You have the guests, maybe. But when you are recording music, you got to put everything on separate tracks, including okay. all the drums. Like if you're working with a drummer, you got like eight pieces, like you got the kick and the snare and the cymbals. They all go in their own track. That's why I have all these over here. And then of course, everything else, keyboard, vocals, guitar, all that stuff. But when I do podcasting, I normally just use two or three different tracks. Okay. All recording at the same time. You use two or three yeah. when you say tracks? Yeah, because you want everybody speaking to be on the different channel. Ah, okay. To the degree I can understand that, I can appreciate that yours is more advanced than mine. I've got some big bells and whistles <laughs> over here. I've got a Rodecaster Pro with a bunch of nice big light. And all I know is that several things flow through it, but I don't understand everything. I just talk on the mic and the tech team does everything. That's awesome. Can you actually turn your computer or your phone and just show it quickly so I can take a look at it? I'm not able to because my webcam, which is the pride and joy of the collection here, it's like stuck up here in this pole. So it's like above my eye line looking down at me and it's fixed. So not able to do that. So yeah, I'm always curious about what happens in the background of podcasters studios. So let's segue. We're going to come back to podcasting. Before we do that, I'd love to just give the audience a sampling of something challenging. So Bruce, I'm going to ask you to look backwards in time and it could be 10 seconds ago or it could be back in childhood. So give you a wide canvas here to paint the picture. What's one of the most challenging things you've been through in your life? One of the most challenging things in my life is probably to have the same entrepreneurial success as my dad. When okay. I was a kid, I remember my father never had a job. He always worked for himself. And you know what? That inspired me to be self-employed. I went through a bunch of businesses. And this obviously was before the podcast craze. So I had a resume writing business. I had a web design, not web development firm at one point. But then web design became too easy with front page and Adobe Dreamweaver. People can remember that far back. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I started the web development firm and things were a little bit more successful because more people can design and they can develop because nobody wants to write code unless you love writing code. So I got into that. And that was very successful for a long time until I just decided that sales weren't where they were. And I took a full-time job at that time. I didn't like it because again, I'm breaking away from the entrepreneurial spirit of my dad. And that's kind of the biggest challenge. So now things are getting better again with the World Podcast Network. And now I can now do things successfully as an entrepreneur again. And that keeps me going. My dad's success keeps me going. Can you remember when there was a specific time back when you were starting the resume writing business, when you wrote your first business plan and when you opened the first LLC or just the first day open? What was that like for you following in his footsteps and opening your first business on day one back in the day? I remember it well, like it was yesterday and it wasn't. I remember one thing. I was in my early 20s. I just graduated college. We were in the diner and I had my business cards and I put my business cards on the cash register. They said it was okay. I'm that eager 20 year old. I have my own business. I'm excited. I got the business cards. And when you're first starting a business when you're that young, it's really exciting. I got a guy, a customer. My first customer was in his 40s. I'm in my 50s now. So I'm now older than this guy was then. But I did his resume, paid me the money. And then he came back and said, I want my money back. I'm like, why do you want your money back? Because you wrote my resume up like I'm a college graduate. And he was not a college graduate. But I wrote it up because I was a college graduate. I just graduated college a year before that. So yeah, naturally, I knew it right away. I wrote his resume like somebody who's my age, but he was 20 years older than me. Huh. Okay. What was that conversation like? 
exactly what I just said. You wrote it up like I'm a college graduate and I'm looking for a real job. And right then and there, I got discouraged. Yes, I could have targeted a younger audience. I could have reached out to people I went to college with and say, hey, look, I'm writing resumes. Are you in the job market? That was a blow to my confidence. I got to say, you learn, you know, it's a lesson learned. That's all it is. And now I'm in my 50s. Okay. I don't look at everybody says it, but I'm in my 50s. I have a lot of wisdom since that day when I was in my early 20s and I started the resume business. So you'll learn a lot. You'll learn how to deal with people. You learn how to manage expectations. Yes, again, but that was still exciting at the time. I still remember my feeling that came over me and how great it was. So yeah. When was the point, if there was a point, when you were going through entrepreneurship, when podcasting came to be something that was on your radar and you got excited about it? When was that point in your life in that time? Had to be around 2005, okay? I mean, when I graduated college, there was no internet. And obviously, there was no Web 2.0, social media, or podcasting at the time. So things have changed a lot for me. And I know my daughter's 20 now. She doesn't know what life is like without the internet. And I'm sure your yeah. kids don't know. They just don't know. They were born during the internet, right? When the internet was big. But we were not. So things are different. And I think being successful is you evolve with the technology. And people who don't evolve, they fall behind very quickly. How many people do you know still have flip phone. Actually, not many, but a few. They're older. Well, my mom is 80 and she's got a smartphone, right? Mm. So it's not really how old you are. It's either you're willing to evolve with the technology or not. It was around 2005. I told the story. I told it to Rena. I told it to a bunch of people. And when I was in college, I wanted to be a radio DJ. Okay. The radio station was there, literally like one building over from my door. I applied. They say, great, but we don't have any openings right now. Mm. All the time slots are filled. I said, okay, fine. I won't be a radio DJ. I graduated to college in 1988, by the way. Now fast forward to 2005. I hear about podcasts. I'm in the bookstore, Barnes and Noble, and I see introduction to podcasting from Todd Cochran. That's a Blueberry Network founder. And it was a silver glossy cover. It had green lettering. How often do you see a book like that? Green lettering on top of silvery, glossy artwork. And I always gravitated towards the technology section in Barnes and Noble. I love that section, but I love other sections too. So I'm like, podcasting? What is that? And I had the iPod. I'm holding the iPod, the Apple iPod, right? That's right in my hand as I saw the book. I was jogging and I'm like, wow. I open it up. I see him within the first chapter. I'm thinking to myself, this is my chance to now become a radio DJ all over again. Okay. Okay. Got it. The light bulb went off in my head. Okay. So I read maybe three pages of it in the bookstore and I was sold. And then I finished reading the book on podcasting within one week. And keep in mind that within the second chapter, I was thinking, yes, I cannot wait till I finish the book. I'm going to start this thing. I'm going to have my own podcast in the week. This book is going to be done. It's going to be read. I read it. And I also met Todd Cochran in, in person at one of the pod camps. What happened was, because I'm a web developer, and here's what I say to everybody, Matt. This is my spiel. I said this to Rena. I said this to some other people. I am two things that most people are only one. I'm a marketing visionary and I'm a web developer. Okay. okay. Most people are either web developers or and they get hired by marketing people or they're marketing people who hire web developers. I do both. So when I get an idea in my head, I sit down and code it. Yes. Okay. I don't talk to web developers. I don't talk to people who test. I do all my testing. Sometimes I ask other people to do it, but I did hire a few web developers. I didn't like the quality of the code. And then I had to go back and say, this is not working and that's not working. You know what? I just decided to do it myself. 
get it right the first time, stop wasting time. So with that said, I had my podcast and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? It was on music, by the way, like I'm a musician. So I wanted to promote other unsigned artists. I had a podcast called Fresh Music Series. That was in 2005. And then early 2006, it was February. So we're in February right now. So it was 18 years ago, exactly to this day. I thought to myself, why should I limit my podcast to just music? Maybe I want sports and technology and business and finance and health. So I decided to build a website. It wasn't called the Podcast Network yet. A website of multiple podcasts. I went on Craigslist. I lived on Long Island. A lot of people don't know about Long Island. That's right by New York City. That's where Jerry Seinfeld, Pat Benatar, Eddie Money, Twist's sister, they all came from there. I decided to build a Long Island Podcast Network. And then I put an ad on Craigslist and literally by the end of the week, I had 10 new podcasters. I sat down, built this thing. I wrote the code. The website was up in about two weeks and I was off and running and I called it a cast network. Why? Because a TV network, radio network, there was yes. no such thing as a podcast network back then. And that's the story. Nice. So now after 20 podcasts in 2006, we now have over a thousand in 2024. And is it still the Fresh Music Series podcast? No, I abandoned that a long time ago. As a matter of fact, Spotify has announced that they are no longer allowing music podcasts now. Oh. So it wouldn't matter anyway, even if it was. No, my podcast now has become a successful podcaster. Like I help other podcasts. Got it. Okay. Monetization, marketing, growth, branding, whatever. Yes. So it's really interesting to me to look at the timeline just in the last 10 minutes of our conversation, where if you're really listening out there and you're putting pieces together, you can see how the journey of the entrepreneur, it's never linear, never a straight line. It ebbs and flows. And you got inspired when you were running and you saw something in the bookstore and you went in and now that led to the World Podcast Network, with over a thousand podcasts on it. And it's just amazing to see how that whole thing transitioned. And I really appreciate really astute tip out there, listeners to find out what your niche is, where your special skills are. And Bruce has found his. He's a marketing visionary and a web developer. And to me, that's the thing that I shy away from. I have no idea what that means. You say the word coding, and that is like a scary word to me. So you've got kind of both (laughs) of these skills. You can create it and you can create the marketing to it. So it makes sense that a visionary like you, an entrepreneur like you would would build this network. So can you narrate for us a little bit journey from those first 10 podcasts, the Long Island Network, and then maybe when it evolved to the World Podcast Network. What were some of the key milestones along that journey, Bruce? In 2006, we started as the Long Island Podcast Network. And I will say this, it wasn't February, but in November of that year, exactly nine months later, Newsday, that is the newspaper on Long Island, came to me and they heard about what we were doing. And they wrote page and a half article on the Long Island Podcast Network, which was exciting because we just exploded from there. Life went on in 2017. I changed it to the New York City Podcast Network. We were in New York City for a long time. And then Six years later, last year, I decided to let's do World Podcast Network. And that's the whole narration. Wow. So if you could take us back into your memory bank here, you've met thousands, if not tens of thousands of podcasters. What might be one of them that comes to your mind that really stood out as this is really unique and just it stands out in your mind? The Eternal Optimist Podcast. Ah, awesome. Of course it stands <laughs> out. It's a fantastic show. Well, you are a very dynamic podcaster. I think I've been on a lot of interviews. I've never seen anybody Matt, as dynamic as you do. And you know what? Not only are you dynamic, but you're rubbing off on me. You're making me, like, I don't even talk this way on other podcasts. 
So what does that mean, dynamic? I'm taking all this as a compliment, very grateful. And what does that mean? Yes, it is a compliment. You're positive, you laugh, you smile, you have energy. That's dynamic. Some of these other podcasters, I will not mention the names like, okay, we have Bruce today. We're going to oh, interview Bruce. Yes, I'm with you. Very monotone, very not so happy. I don't know if you call the word upset, depressing, but yes. And a lot of them are like you. A lot of podcasters are like you, but a lot of them are just the opposite. And I listen to five to seven podcast episodes a day because when you work with thousands, you want to be there for people. You want them to know that you do care. I'll be honest with you. Some of them put me to sleep and there's actually a podcast that intentionally puts you to sleep that's on our network. It's called the ZZZ Podcast. So I will say this. If people are having a problem falling asleep at night, they have insomnia, put this podcast on and they will recite or read the most boring thing in the world to help you fall asleep. Like for example, they have a good episode on the Windows 95 user manual. What? Oh man, that put me to sleep. I'm looking into that one right now. The ZZZ, okay. That's the idea. Yeah, they do a good job. I put it on. It's helped me sleep a couple of times. I mean, that and maybe like one melatonin, you know? I hear you. Oh, the podcast that helps you sleep. Awesome. Cool. Little Women by Louisa May Alcott is the most recent. A Tale of Two Cities. Oh, what a great book, but damn, that puts me to sleep. Oh, cool. Well, thank you for that compliment. And certainly it makes it easier when you have a guest that's willing to fully engage. You know, what I don't like, it's not that I despise it. It's just I'm not the biggest fan of someone's got three talking points. Just stick to that. Stick to the script. Don't go off script. Yeah. Don't make it more personal. Just stay on track. And I like the long form right. podcast interview. I think we're pushing it at 35 to 55 minutes. The length I want to go right now. I love getting to know someone a little bit deeper. I love the real. So it's good to have you on the show. Well, so, okay, let's keep going then. So you've shared the challenge of growing up in a home with an entrepreneur father, and then you wanted to be the entrepreneur. You did that, ups and downs, giant podcast network now. I'm curious, you listen to five podcasts a day, but what's a day in the life of a podcast coach? Like what's a coaching relationship or just a day look like for a podcast coach? Well, it's finding out what the problems and challenges are of the coaching clients. Like why do they want coaching in the first place? Some people don't need coaching. And I feel that no Nobody needs coaching. It's you either want it or you don't. Yes. And if you want it, it's not like a baseball team where you play on the team and your coach is there. Coaching obviously is not forced on you. But there are people that want to succeed in podcasting, but they don't know how to do it. And they need someone to just get them to that point where they can feel comfortable podcasting. I have helped people, like you said before, just getting in front of the camera and talking. Now, here's what I say to everybody. This is my take. Everybody's a podcaster. Just some of us talking to a mic. Think about that. For a minute. Hmm. Okay. What does podcaster mean then to you? If everyone's a podcaster, not everyone talks to the mic, what is the definition of a podcaster to you in that context? Well, remember that whether you're on the podcast or not, you're still talking to people. You're mm -hmm. still being yourself. You're still giving your opinions. You're still talking the way you always talk to as if someone's in front of you. The way I look at it is I see you on Zoom right now. To me, you are a real person regardless of whether you're in front of me in person or you're on Zoom. But also your audience members, my audience members, like whoever we're talking to, you're still being yourself. You're not doing something different. Not like you're on stage and singing or doing public speaking and you have a certain topic. Like you actually have a conversation whether you see the audience or not. That's how I look at it. Mm. And my coaching clients, that's what I tell them. I say, if you're having problems with the way you're projecting your voice, just pretend that you are in front of a real person. And how do you talk to your relatives? How do you talk to your friends, your coworkers? Because when you think about it or not, you are yourself. You're going to talk the same way
way to everybody. You might slightly be different in front of your coworkers. You might be different in front of your relatives. You might be different in front of your friends. But you know what? You're still that one person that's in front of all those three types of people. Mm -hmm. And you're going to give your opinion the same way. Maybe in the professional workplace, you're not going to always give your honest opinion, right? You might not like your coworker and you're like, well, you suck. I don't want to work with you. You can't say that because you can get fired, right? But (laughs) you're still going to come in. If you both like football, and we got the Super Bowl this weekend, you're going to come in Monday morning and talk about the Super Bowl, right? You're not going to be professional. You're like, okay, that quarterback stunk. That wide receiver, he could have caught that. He gave up the intercept. You're going to talk like that. So it doesn't really matter. When you're podcasting, pretend that you're talking to a real person because technically you are. And that's the biggest problem I get from people. I don't know how to talk. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to come up with. So I tell people, what exactly do you want to say to people? Yeah. Don't think about what to say. Talk. Think about one thing. Don't overthink it. That's another problem. They overthink it. I don't know how to name my episode. And if I don't know how to name my episode, I don't know what to say. You know what? What do you want to say to somebody? Okay, your podcast has a particular theme and that mm-hmm. theme could be anything. It has a certain category, has a certain genre. All right, what do you like about your theme? If you're a sports podcaster, are you going to talk about baseball, football, hockey, lacrosse? Okay, focus on something and come up with a topic for the episode. Don't worry about the title. That also scares people away. I don't know what the title of my episode. You know what? You'll get the title later. Yes. Just think of one thing you want to talk about and just talk about it. That is where I coach people. And I coach people to come up with those ideas. And because the other thing is, how do I edit? How do I distribute it? How do I market? I mean, I can help all that. You say that, how do I edit and how do I distribute? I got to say, that may have been my crutch or my excuse. That turns people off. For a few years. I didn't know what to do. I'm going to figure that. I'm going to learn that. I'm going to take time and learn that. And no, I didn't for a few years. So my podcast would have been in 2018, ended up being 2022 because of that. I did too much overwhelm, not outsourced to a pro like you, right? So this is what I would say to anyone out there listening, because I know there are people listening to the show who want to start a podcast who've said to me that I'm going to be starting it soon, which means that I don't know what to talk about, right? There's a couple of things that would keep me on the bench. Bruce is someone who actually has a network and he coaches people on this. And I don't advocate for every guest pitch or every guest thing. This one I do because he's referred from someone I trust and and if you're on the bench and you have something you want to say, you don't have to know exactly what it is. Just start to formulate an idea. Let's get them gone and start doing it. Bruce, take us back Absolutely. to when you did your first show. How good or how oh, bad wow. was your first season of shows 20 years ago? I got to think about this. Yeah, I got to think back. Now, that was 2005. Yes. It was a fresh music series. I went on to Craigslist to yes. the Long Island section. And I said, hey, if you're an unsigned musician, we're going to play you on our podcast. That is it. Here's the link. And I got answers from a lot of people. And it was just awesome because I'm a musician. There are some that I'm still friends with today. I mean, I live in New Jersey now, but there are some bands from Long Island that I was friends with for a long time. I'm a musician, play four instruments. I've had one band called The Mondays, and they do actually very well. They had me come up and play saxophone on some of their songs. I did that. I get invited to a lot of gigs to play. So I've done that before as well. And I've been very, very happy like that. You know, it's great. I think we just uncovered another idiot savant here because you said you have a bass guitar (laughs) and drum machine over there. You didn't mention a saxophone. So are you one of these people who can just pick up any instrument and play it because you understand music and reading notes and things? Is that? You know, I guess so. Here's my music timeline. Piano at six, saxophone at nine. Did your dad force you to play or your mom force you to play the piano or did you have a love of it? It's just the opposite. Okay. My mother asked me if I want to play piano, but I inspired my father to become a drummer. Oh, nice. How many people inspire their parents to do something? They don't. 
you know, usually your parents inspire you when you're younger. But my father saw me playing piano and saxophone and he told me, I want to learn to play drums. I see all the fun you're having. He bought himself a drum set and he started taking lessons. And I thought that was excellent. You know, we have a lot of cassette tapes because I'm at all. We have a lot of cassette tapes of the two of us playing together. Nice. And that was awesome. I don't have those cassette tapes anymore because you can't find a cassette player That's anymore. true. But it shows my age. But no, he never forced me. Nobody ever forced me. This is really funny because when I was 11, I wrote my first song. It was a stupid song. It was a song that you would expect an 11-year-old to write. But I won't say that about every 11-year-old because there was a girl that was... You got to tell us what was the name of the song, man. What was the song, the 11-year-old song? It was called Come On You, Mommy. <laughs> and now I'll say this. I was a very big Elton John fan. I was inspired oh, yeah. by Elton John to write. Some people are inspired by Billy Joel, and but I was inspired by Elton John. What happened was I'm sitting at the piano waiting for my mother to drive me to a friend's house and she was taking her own sweet time. The piano is right there by the front door in the living room. I'm sitting on the piano, getting impatient. I used to call her you mommy. I don't obviously call her that anymore, but I banged on the piano and they said, come on, you mommy, come on, you mommy. And I'm like, this is a really cool melody for a song. Wow. But it sounded stupid. I won't lie to you, but I wrote it all the way. I wrote the lyrics, won't play it ever again because I've written 150 songs since then that are obviously more mature mm -hmm. lyrics and music wise, but it was a cool thing. And then when I was in sixth grade, there was a gong show and I won with that song. So the guy who ran it, the teacher told me, I want you to play this for the entire school. Whoa, this is not 11 years old. How old is this? It was that same year. And I'll be honest with you, Matt, I hated the song. I knew at 11 how dumb it was, but the fact that he actually liked it and promoted me was the inspiration I needed to be a songwriter. Wow. So that's what I did. So, so did you play it for the school at 11? I did. It wasn't actually like an assembly thing. It was just me going into the piano that he actually had in the cafeteria and he just brought in different grades. And I do remember thinking, well, if I'm going to do it this way, why can't it just be an assembly? That's not what happened. And it gave me the confidence I needed. And at one point, I remember that I hated the song so much that I even told him, no, I'm not going to play it. I am that stubborn 11-year-old. I'm like this, like, no, like, play it for the whole, play it, no. And he got so upset with me. And he was wow. a big guy. I'm like, all right, you know, yes, I'm going to play it. I see how upset you are, but I still liked the attention that he was giving me. So I had mixed feelings about the song. And then one day when I was about to play it, I had written my second song. I don't play that song anymore either. I don't remember what it was called, like Open the Door or something like that. It was much more mature. And when he had me playing Come On You Mommy, I said, now I would like to play a new song. And I look over at him and he does this, like that <sighs> surprise look. And he liked it. So I figured I'm just going to keep on writing music. Awesome. And at that point, it was, it was just me on the piano. Piano, writing lyrics and I didn't have all the equipment I have now. Now, fast forward, I actually wrote a lot of music and I put it all into cassettes as I was growing up. And then I played in a band in 1993 called Without Love. They were all, I would say, glam rock fans. They were into Bon Jovi yeah. and Journey and that type of stuff. And I joined as a keyboard player. We ended up opening for a couple of bands Ace Frehley from Kiss. We opened up for a band called Widowmaker that was actually Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister. That was his second band. That Widowmaker, a lot of people don't know, that was his band after Twisted Sister before they did a reunion. And a couple of other bands that you probably never heard of, but they were big in the 90s. And it was a great thing. And I went into a recording studio with them. We ended up in a recording studio, the same recording studio as Skid Row. The Youth Gone Wild? I remember that one growing up, man. Okay, Skid Row. 
Yeah, so that was South River, New Jersey. And I decided I'm going to start booking that studio and just record my own music. And that's what I did. So now I'm going to fast forward to 2012. I decided I'm just going to start producing myself. And I bought all the equipment. And here we are. You know, we're talking 12 years later. And I'm still doing it. And you heard a lot of the music already. So I did on Spotify. I did. Yeah. It, was- it just gets better and better. Like I get better as somebody who could produce music. And now other people are asking me to produce music. So it's cool. Absolutely. Is there a point in your time in playing music where maybe you had any stage fright and you learned to overcome that? Can you talk about your relationship with playing in front of people? What was that first fear feeling you may have had and how you overcame it? I would like to say never. Okay. I know most people get stage fright. I would say I almost never get stage fright just as a kid. I think all kids get stage fright a little bit when they know they're going to perform. I mean, I was in a school band. I played the saxophone. I was in, you know, that whole ensemble type of thing. So I was always a little worried about messing up there. But then that was it. Once I started playing my own music, I never got stage fright again because technically nobody really cares. All they want to do is have a good time. I want to have a good time on stage. I don't even care. I mess up on stage so much. People just say, hey, you did a great job. You're awesome. And no one has ever said, you messed up. You messed up. So if nobody says it, then what do I care? You know, I think from that point, I just stopped getting stage fright. And like I look forward to being in front of people. Before the pandemic, I did public speaking all over the United States and Canada. I love public speaking. It was mostly on web development. Now, podcasting, a lot of people might know Chris Brogan. He and another gentleman named Chris Penn started PodCamp. And PodCamp, I don't know if it was worldwide, but it was national. They would go to different cities and set up these conferences in person and, you know, speakers and all that. So I did some public speaking in New York and Boston, which was kind of cool. So I done a lot of that too. I done public speaking at business networking events on podcasting. So I'm there, you know, anytime people want to know, I'll teach anybody anything. I'm curious about your public speaking, because we were talking about that before we got on the air, about how you love it, there's no anxiety when you do it. So for those who haven't experienced that yet, an anxiety-free public speaking on stage, I would ask, what might be your story that you can share that helped you to prove to yourself, this can be really fun, this can be amazing? Like, what's your what's your good public speaking story that just makes you smile and fills you up? It was probably in New York City in 2016 when I spoke, believe it or not, at the United Nations. And that was- Wow, that sounds way up there. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. Cool. I got I got that video. It's on YouTube. I can give you a clip. Please. But what happened <laughs> now, the event itself was WordCamp. It's WordPress. It was a WordPress conference. As I said, I'm a web developer and I was teaching people how to create a WordPress plugin. Most people just use it, but I can build them. And I couldn't believe that the event was going to be at the United Nations. So funny enough, not only did I not have any stage fright, there were 300 people in the room. I love that. But my plugin did not work. Oh my God. Did not work. It worked when I practiced my presentation. I always tell people, if you have to do public speaking, the best way to get over stage fright is to be well rehearsed. When I say well rehearsed, I mean 10, 20 times. You got a PowerPoint presentation. Look at that PowerPoint presentation. Go through it 10, 20 times. If the organizer tells you you only have half hour, then you know what? You need to rehearse your presentation looking at this presentation and keep it down to 30. Trim what you don't need. Trim what you don't think going to go over and make it work. Because when you 
you practice and you rehearse over and over again, it's like anything else. You're not going to mess up. It's going to be second nature. I practiced this plugin. I built it from scratch. I actually coded in front of everybody. And when I rehearsed it, it always worked. And then I do the public speaking thing. It doesn't work. And I'm like, I swear to you, at that point, I had stage fright. Yeah. Oh, my God. Of course. <laughs> I messed up. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm thinking in the back of my head. Is this what you said? Or this is just your thinking in the back of your head? No, I'm BSing the whole room of 300 people at the United Nations. I got 300 people in the United Nations and this thing did not work. And it's actually on the video. It's funny. And I'm thinking to myself, what do I say? What do I do? I've never had them before. So I said, okay, I'm really sorry. I just apologized. It's all I could do. And I said, you know what? I'm going to post this video elsewhere. I'll give you a link. Here's the link. And I recovered and I kept on going, but it was just funny. And a couple of years later, I ended up working with a guy. We talked about going to WordCamp and I told him that I spoke United nations. He, and he said, I was there and I was in the plugin talk and I didn't oh. know that you were the speaker. And he, he said to me, oh, I remember that it didn't work. <laughs> so people do remember. And I'm like, wow. So it happens. And a good public speaker is really someone that just knows how to recover. That's right. It's never going to be perfect. No matter how well my lesson is this, no matter how well rehearsed you are, something can always go wrong. And all you need to do to prepare mentally is to be prepared to deal with it, right? You don't need to freak out. You don't need to do anything like that. You don't need to have stage fright. Just figure out a game plan to recover and get back on topic. And that's what I do. That's why I'm never worried about it. This is the best answer in the history of the universe. Team, pay close attention. Be prepared. Be prepared to deal with it. Whatever the challenge yes. happens, just be ready to deal with it. That's some of the best advice. Be prepared. Practice in advance. Yes. It's such a great message. It's so simple. I'm not saying it's easy. It's so simple. Here's what I tell people. Rehearse it until you're bored of yourself. Because when you get bored, no, really, you get bored of the content and you get bored of your own voice. And I know that's not comforting advice. And this is what I found. Once I get bored of myself in a presentation, because no one else is going to get bored. They haven't heard it yet. Mm -hmm. That's when you know you're prepared. That's when you know that you have it memorized. Boredom always comes from the fact that you don't want to hear this anymore. Mm -hmm. You heard it enough. And once you rehearse it enough and you know you're bored with your Yourself, that's when you know you're ready. Absolutely agree. Rehearse it until you're bored with yourself and or just rehearse it. If you want the butterflies to go away, yeah. be prepared. Have a game plan to pivot and that should go for anything in life. Be prepared to pivot and whenever it's a pivot, my philosophy is it's a gift. Learn from it. It's a seed yep. of a kernel that's there. It's ready to pop open and make something amazing. This challenge. Absolutely. The first time I ever forgot what I was going to say on stage or the first time that I ever had the electricity go out or the internet went out and I had had an online-based presentation. All those things are great opportunities to practice pivoting on stage yeah, in front definitely. of people. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to ask, where can we find out more about you and about the World Podcast Network? How do we find out more, Bruce? Go to worldpodcast.network. Worldpodcast.network, okay. Oh, you're going to it now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. For those people who have a podcast, because you said you have podcasters, they can sign up for free and we help them get the audience members. And we do a lot more. We have a guest exchange. You can actually register to be a guest and the podcasters will look for you. But social media which I have not been promoting myself very well on social media. I do have a social media manager because I just get very busy doing all that. But I'm very active on LinkedIn. Looked up Bruce Chamoff on LinkedIn. Okay. And I'm on Facebook. But that's just my personal profile, which I don't think anybody cares about. But the World Podcast Network does have its own Facebook page. We just need an update. And my Twitter account last year, I had something like 40,000 followers. 
but it got destroyed. I won't get into that story. It got deleted accidentally. Ah. And now I had I had to rebuild it. And now I'm up 200 followers from 40,000. Oh my gosh. <laughs> if anybody wants to hear my music, they can just look up Bruce Chamoff on Spotify. And finally, because I won't even get into Instagram, but I'm on Apple Podcasts. My podcast is called Become a Successful Podcaster. And you can listen to the episodes, which are mostly about succeeding with your show, monetizing, growing your audience. My podcast is well monetized. So I do make money and people come to me and asking me, how do you do it? How do I do it? Right? Yeah. Who is going to come to you? Who would be the ideal avatar that would be interested or that would want your services or that you could serve? Who might that person be, Bruce? I mean, simply, it's really just anybody who wants to have their own podcast or anybody who wants to improve their own podcast. I don't think that I worry about demographics because I do tell people when you have a podcast in a specific niche, you do want to consider demographics. But I figure with a podcast like mine, I can have a 15-year-old kid or an 80-year-old senior citizen if they have a podcast and you want to get into it, that is my audience. And people always ask me, what are demographics? Well, demographics are basically age, gender, marital status, all education, that type of thing. There's also, I would say that anybody who just wants to be better at public speaking, I do a lot of that too in my podcast. Okay. Really, that's it. That's my audience. Anyone who wants to improve their podcast, improve their public speaking, any kind of demographic, or just get into it. And you can find them all over. You look at World Podcast Network, it's all over the internet here. So I'm seeing it all over the place and certainly connect with Bruce online at the places he's mentioned. Bruce, I'd love to ask you a couple of wrap-up questions today here in the lightning round. Ding, ding, ding. As we move to conclude, one, let's talk about books for a second. If you are a book person, what might be one or two books you might recommend that have had an impact in your life? Two of them. So Think and Grow Rich from Napoleon Hill. I'm sure a lot of people have read that one. It's where the mastermind group came. And what is it? The Dale Carnegie one, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Man, you're <laughs> taking me back, brother. That How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's the first dad, first book my dad gave me in high school when he was selling Amway back in the day. Oh, yeah. We had a lot of toothpaste. Okay, so let's go to music then. Other than Bruce Chamoff, who you can find on Spotify, what might be uh, a song or a genre, an artist that fills your bucket and inspires you, Bruce? I love heavy metal. Yes. Last August, we saw Metallica. Last December, we saw the very last Kiss show. December 2nd, that was at Madison Square Garden before Kiss became Avatars. And this April, I'm seeing Judas Priest. Those are some rock and roll. I remember from the late 80s, middle of the late 80s, they were crushing it. Metallica, man. Inner Sandman, still on my motivational music in the morning. So When, when they saw Metallica, that's what they closed with. They closed Inter Sandman. Oh, it's the song, man. How many times? Okay. Down to the last question, Bruce, and I'll give you the last word here. Eternal Optimist Podcast. That's the name of our show. When you hear the words eternal optimist, what might that mean to you, sir? Somebody that always has a positive attitude and never gives up. <laughs>